Hello, and welcome to this episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. This is one of our eerie extras, which is sort of where we do all the things that we can't fit elsewhere. And one of my favorite things to do is interviews. So I'm Katie Troyer, and I'm so excited that I get to be joined by horror writer Mark N. Drake. Hey, Mark, thank you for joining Hi us. There. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. Did you like how I said us as though it was the royal us? I was like, thank you for joining us <laughs> instead of me. <laughs> I felt I felt involved immediately in a, in a massive network. <laughs> good, good, good. That, that's, that's exactly what I want, which I think makes sense considering the, the sort of stuff you write, right? If there's not a shadowy underground, what's, what's the point? Exactly. <laughs> so I always like to start with a question that's somewhere between weird and just like an icebreaker before we get into the like what keeps you up at night and terrifies you which we will get to <laughs> but first a question that I'm glad I don't have to answer if you were an animal what animal would you be and why oh yeah I hate this sort of question because it really makes me think um I know I've, I mean I've heard it before I used to say shark just because I hate dentists okay. sure. and sharks don't have any sense in their sense sensation in their teeth um, but on reflection, um, well, I was going to say polar bear because okay. I've been watching the uh, BBC adaptation of um, his dark materials and the polar oh. bear is so cool. Yeah. Um, but then I realized I, I, I was checking on this and male polar bears don't hibernate. They stay awake all through the winter. Really? So I thought, no, yeah, I think they're missing out oh. there. So yeah, I are. thought I'll just go for a standard, you know, non-polar bear and sleep Excellent. for six months through the Excellent. winter. I feel like you've chosen both of them are such majestic animals. I'm like a raccoon or a <laughs> wombat or some sort of, uh, you know, animal that often gets labeled as like a trash animal. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I like to emerge out at night, scavenge other people's food, go back into my dark hole. So I like that you've chosen majestic animals. Uh, I feel like that tells me what I need to know. <laughs> it's also animals I know nothing about because I've never seen a bear or shark in the wild and don't particularly want to see a shark in the wild. But, yeah. you know. From a distance, they look pretty good. Yes. Uh, I just watched, I don't know if it's out in the UK yet, but Cocaine Bear. Um, I've not heard of that, no. So the, the title of the film is more or less the film, right? Uh, it's based on a true story of a situation here in the United States where a whole bunch of cocaine dropped, a bear ingested it. And then the film is like, this is kind of funny, but also really sad. So it's this, it's a, it's a very odd film. Um, but it made me realize that I don't need to meet a bear in the wild. So. <laughs> okay. Other than a dentist, because that's why you chose shark. Uh, what scares you in real life? Because a lot of, a lot of the fiction that you write has these, and it's one of my favorite parts, these sort of like supernatural, fantastical elements. But there are also things that I, I think I can see being like, ah, I bet those are things Marcus like scared of in, in the real world. Um, so what scares you in real life and how yeah. do these fears play into your writing? Um, I, I don't think it's really coming to the, anything I've written yet, but heights, I'm, I'm, I'm really not fond of heights. Um, and I've tried to cure it. I've tried to cure myself. I've, I've done charity abseiling and charity parachute jumps wow. and it just made it worse. So, yeah. so not fond of heights, as in, as in, you know, painting the ceiling is a challenge for me uh, that's, that's wild that's that you then did parachuting i mean the, like that you well, like went that yeah, yeah. I thought kill or cure um yeah <laughs> d d d didn't help um that's wild. I, I i guess i'm really not fond of creatures generally snakes really don't like snakes yeah. uh if you read the second book that might come out in the second book yeah. um uh spiders not fond of spiders yeah so i think there's a I think there's an optimum range of legs that I'm happy with and like zero is not, is, is, is too low and yes. eight is too high. And I'm, I'm really yes. not entirely sure about six to be honest, but, uh, <laughs> yes. but yeah. I completely agree. I've found that like 
the moment you put a couple legs on, I'm like, that's a cute lizard. But if it doesn't have legs, it's just not, yeah. it's not okay. It's, no, um, exactly. And, yeah. and growing up, I grew up in Arizona, which is a, one of our desert states. Oh, that, like, that sounds snaky as well. Yeah, it was snaky and it was scorpions. And, you know, scorpions are also arachnids, but then they're, they just, I mean, they're the worst. So I would kill it. Yeah. And then I would like leave a note that would say underneath this paper is a scorpion. Please throw it away because it just creeped <laughs> me out. Like eight legs, you're right. Yeah. It's too, too many. Do you, do you think, so you said that snakes comes into play in one of your books. Do you think you're going to explore more with heights? Like I could see that factoring into one of the the mysteries yeah, and cases. I think, I think it's bound to, it's just not, it's not particularly happened yet, but I think it's, yeah. gonna, it's bound to, <laughs> it's yeah. bound to at some stage and, and I'll be able to write with some, um, with some uh, certainty as to the, yes. the dread of being yes. high. So you're, you have such tangible like real life fears, are there any of the fears that that are more of the supernatural, not necessarily like I'm scared of ghosts, but like how do some of the supernatural fears translate for you into things that kind of keep you up at night in your Dark Isles series? Yeah, I'm, um, they tend to not. <laughs> okay. I, I have to be really bored. I mean, I was originally a physicist, so maybe that's it. That, yes. Maybe that's it. Maybe my rationality has just driven it out. Also, I think if you were someone of a certain age, um, if you grew up in a sort of later stage of the Cold War, you've got certain fatalism, I think, about yeah. the fate of the world. Um, and you see that in the new the new generations are much more, much more running around trying to do something about things. I think our yes. generation is a case of, ah, we've got three minutes, what are we going to do in, that, in three minutes? Yes. Um, so I think, uh, I think uh, I, 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 I'd like to invoke sorts of feelings of, of, of dread of, of something out there that's bigger than us. Um, but I don't, I don't particularly feel it myself, to be honest. That makes sense. And I, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to ask a question that I'm realizing I may not be equipped to know the answer to, but like, what type of physicist were you? What did you study? Yeah, I was a very most basic type of physicist. I was an applied physicist. And so we're, oh. it was all about knowing enough physics to do experimentation. Um, oh, that's and I did that and I was, it was, I did, I, I actually, my first job actually was in the field and I enjoyed it greatly for a few years. Uh, I'm glad yeah. I did it. Um, yeah. But it was time to move on after that. But yeah. yeah. I, I like the fact because, you know, it, it seems like it's easy for a lot of people to think how they're going to apply chemistry or biology because a lot of times they go into medicine. But I yeah. love the idea that, you know, you can actually do things with physics. Like we need to remind people that there are these other STEM fields, right, that are really exciting. And physics always just seems so appealing. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it wasn't. It wasn't tight, It wasn't. It wasn't particle physics, or astrophysics, or anything particularly right. highfalutin. It was. It was. It was looking at a lot. Of it was defense research and looking at basic things like how does concrete break, and how do you make oh. concrete better than you break it at the moment. Oh, that's um, so neat, actually. <laughs> but I got to. I got to see the world. I got to. I got to. I got to travel to uh, San Antonio for a conference, and, and oh, to California, yeah. and to Quebec, and and places like that. And and so it's. Uh, it was a. It was a, a good career. I'm glad I put my degree to some use. Yeah. Um, um I'm not. I've not done that for some years now, but I did yes. start off with. <laughs> did you ever think about creating a a horror character, like a main character that was a physicist? Like, was that ever, because, you know, you have, um, I can't remember, Jake is his name? Is that um, completely? Uh, Jack, yeah. Jack, sorry. Yes. Um, I knew it was a male name that began with a J. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, do you, like, did you ever think about making him have a, a back, like a really robust background in physics or something like that? Yeah, no, no, I didn't, to be honest. Um, I, I always saw him as being um, a bit of a failed historian um, yeah. and having a sort of, I think that gives him a way in to uh, the sort of mythos of, of 
created um, mm -hmm. as he's sort of flirted on the edges of that in the past. Um, and I think physics, I mean, there is, there are ways into, into horror with physics, um, sure. um, but um, none have occurred to me just yet. <laughs> yeah, but who knows? Sense. Who knows? Yeah. There's... yeah, you still have many books, I hope, that you're going to be writing in the next few years I for really me to read. So, so yeah. yeah, I really hope so. <laughs> This is a good segue. Uh, so those of you listening, you should know I 100% threw several curveball questions in there. So thank you, Mark, for answering them all so well. But this is one of the questions that I told you I would ask ahead of time because okay. Okay. I love the the Dark Isle. You know, I, actually, I adore it when authors just create a place, right? And they just embed it with everything that's possible. And of course, you know, Lovecraft did it. Um, Stephen King did it. Mark and Drake did it. Um, and in your description of, of Dark Isle, right, it's the, quote, British island of dark secrets and whispered terrors, which is fantastic. So I, I had like a couple parts to this question. You can take whatever you want. Um, what is your favorite aspect of being able to return time and again to this particular place? And maybe after you've answered that, what is one aspect of Dark Isle that you have not yet had a chance to explore, but that is like coming up soon, you hope. Sure. Um, I think in terms of the aspects of returning to it, I, I am finding the place, I, I, th I do think quite, um, quite visually, I think, um, and uh, I am finding the place easier and easier to visualize. And oh, each neat. time I write about it, I invent, I, I, I sort of put some flesh on the bones of, well, what does that what does that lane look like? What do the trees next to it look like? And I know a bit more for next time. So mm. I guess I feel more comfortable with it each time I revisit it. The second thing is um, if you're, I think the, the two ways to make your life really easy as a writer is to write about right now, because you know everything about, I know that I know the pint, I know the pint, uh, the cost of a pint in the pub, mm -hmm. which I'm going to after this interview, uh, because <laughs> I, live that, I live that life. Um, or write about a place that you completely invented because yeah. the pint, the cost of a pint in the pub is what you damn well say it is. Right. Um, everything, everything in between is much more hard work. So actually the, the, uh, the research I have to do to get Jack from Manchester to Liverpool um, oh. and in the parts of his life, because I, I do like, I do like to be accurate. So yes. I have to research train times. I have to research where, what the, the names of docks were called. And I have to really research what the streets were like in the 1920s, etc. because I feel I have to. Mm -hmm. um, once on Dark Isle, that's my island. Yeah. <laughs> there's one hotel, there's one hotel in the middle of Darkleby because I say there is. <laughs> it does make, it, it yes. does mean it does mean the research the amount of research drops off when you worry more about the story and less about the research. I can't stop myself researching. When he's in England, I have to do it properly. Um, yes, and and you can uh, tell, you can feel it in in the your fiction that it oh, feels thanks, grounded in in a way that's meaningful, right? Because it doesn't feel like Dark Isle is is nowhere. It's it's in a version of our planet that just happens yes. to be not this one, right? Yes, and I, I I appreciate that because it feels more authentic, which is weird to say about something that that's going to go Lovecraftian, but it's it's the accurate description for your work. So that's great. To, to me, it has to be found. Originally, I suppose when I was first starting out writing short stories, I really was maybe thinking of setting a lot of them in my home county of Derbyshire, um, which oh. is quite a hilly area it's a little bit it's 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 remote by british standards but by american standards you know it's not <laughs> right. nowhere's remote um, right <laughs> um but i just found it it's 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 uh it, it's just too small a county i think to do that to credibly do that um and i think you can go two ways with that which is either you you focus on a very intimate level of horror um in a little town which is mm -hmm. which is fine um or you create like um a, a, a sort of a neverwhere type mm -hmm. um parallel 
beneath it, um, both of which are great. Obviously, Neverwhere is a great example of how that works. Um, but I thought, no, actually, I, I want some. I want some physical isolation. I don't want just yeah. some. I, I don't want just some um, uh, um, parallel, hard to hard to reach um, uh, universe that you you enter by yeah. going through the right sort of door uh, or falling around the, down the right sort of rabbit hole. I want something that's actually physically difficult to get to and physically difficult to communicate with. Um, and I find, I also find if you're writing mystery, uh, certainly my version of mystery is having the, having characters who can't just pick up a phone and Google, um, does put them in, make, make for more, I think, um, you can put them in more interesting situations. Yes. Uh, now, obviously the 1920s, they can't Google, but I've got that version on Dark Isle. They can't even pick up a phone on Dark Isle. Right. No phone cable has been laid. So, um, I do find that, um, that ability to isolate characters both physically and in terms of communication really helps with my yes. writing uh, and the plot sort of plots I have in mind. That's terrific. So then that leads to the the second part, which is what is and maybe it's a specific place on the island. Maybe it's like a, a specific aspect of of the world that you've created. But what are you excited about going to sometime in the future? Yeah, um, the heart of darkness at Dark Isle is the uh, the north east coast which mm. um so i think i think um so basically when when jack is first thinking about going to dark Isle, people in liverpool are saying you don't want to go to dark Elby. Mm -hmm. and you get to dark Elby, and people in dark Elby are saying you don't want to go to murdoch <laughs> and i'm <laughs> gradually <laughs> um and gradually um you're, you're going to work out i think pretty obvious i think from the first couple of novels that the, the further you get to that sort of northern mm part of the island that's not got a proper road going to it that's not got any major, major towns in it that's where things are going to start getting really wild <laughs> oh that's exciting very neat and what is there is it something about the being on the coast in particular that that is intriguing to you about that the sort of like extra horrorness there or is it just that like an island is going to have a whole bunch of coasts <laughs> yeah um okay if, i think if you're I mean, although I'm from Derbyshire, which is probably the one county in Derbyshire that's actually in, in England that's the furthest from the sea. Uh, I think you're never oh. far from the sea in Britain. So I think right. so sea is always part of it. Um, I think uh, I've got a very specific event in mind to end the series. Um, and that very specific event is going to happen um, uh, where a coastal situation is appropriate, shall we say. Oh, so <laughs> so I think that that sent that way. That, that really, really sort of set me thinking in those terms. Yeah. Um, also, there are... Uh, certain um lovecraftian species which i think will be familiar to people uh, right, who right. tend to hang out tend to hang out at the seaside um yes. so uh um and they're going to play a part in that too so for those, those are the main reasons really that's exciting i've you know how the more like horror you consume the more you never knew that you had like really weird sub niches of of yes. sub so i've realized that aquatic horror is hands down one of my favorite types of horror yes. because yes. the ocean is terrifying and we should all be afraid of it. So I, I think, I think just the, just the sheer fact that you've got this huge expanse, but you actually what anything that's like an inch below the surface, you can't yeah. see it. Uh, I think yes. that's, uh, yes. that's a great source of horror. Yes. Yes, it really is. So you mentioned, this is a off prompt question. And I, I know that like there are secrets you want to retain, but you have an end game in mind. So, you know, do you have a certain number of, of books you're hoping will be in the series or you just know that you will be at the end when you get to a certain set of events? Yeah, the, the books and the books is a, is a, um, a movable feast. Um, the third book kind of suggested itself during COVID, to be honest, uh, oh. and didn't, didn't need to be there or, or mm -hmm. all, all the events in that book that led towards yeah. the final 
scenario, the final the final act uh, could have been put into the um, the book I'm writing now. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it covers. I'm not obviously I can't say how long it covers because as you can know when it gets to this this year that this is the final one. Um, it covers a, a finite period of time. There's an end date as a, as a historical event that happened in okay. our world that's going to be the end point of it. Um, and I'm yeah, the number of books it takes to get there is slightly movable feast, but yeah. yeah, I have an end point in mind. Oh, that's great. And then is your goal to, or hope or thought to say in in this world, but maybe introduce an, another character or do you have other worlds that you're yeah, wanting I, to I go always to? Want, I, I always feel like I'm complete fraud uh, talking about it on a horror podcast. <laughs> I always wanted to be a science fiction writer. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> And I've written sort of a number of uh, attempts at writing science fiction. That I mean, that some of them, are, a couple of them, are, are in my um, collection, short story, short story collection that came out. Oh, great! Just uh, Shards of Shattered Darkness. So whilst they're on the horrific side of horror, they are or science fiction. They are science fiction. Um, but yeah, I've got I've got a couple of science fiction novels that sort of ground to a halt at about the thirty thousand word mark. So I might revisit those next. Take a break from take a break from the Dark Isle universe for a while. But I do see myself returning to it. Um, I mean, it's a good place yeah. to return to. There's so much, so much in there. And like you said, you know, now that you can tell anyone what that lane looks like, right? Like just yeah. the, the amount of detail that you have, that sort of schematics, that's really neat. So I like to ask this question. Then there's two ways to ask it. And at some point it's a question of just like, what are you engaging with? But, but the first question I always like to ask is what are a couple of texts? And I use that term really loosely. I think it can be, you know, like books, short stories, it can be um, games, video or board, it can be movies, TV shows, anything. But what are what are some texts that you recommend for horror creators who are just wanting to better understand the genre that they're creating in? Yeah, so that's, yeah, some of, that's one that you sent me, and that, that set me thinking quite a bit. Um, yeah. Uh, partly because this, it is, again, I've got that, that sort of imposter syndrome of being a horror writer. Right. <laughs> um, but also uh, because it, uh, I think the more you write in it in particular, and certainly the more you read in it, of course, it's mm -hmm. just, it is actually such a very wide uh, oh my gosh. genre. Um, yes. And, and there, are, there, are, there are elements of it that I've got much more in, in, in common with um, crime writing or science yes. fiction than they have with other, other parts of horror, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, so having said that, I think... I, I'm going to go with one that I always say because it's, it's the probably the first time I remember sort of I remember watching this. I was, I was still quite young uh, uh, in my early teens, um, so I was watching it alone. It was late night film, mm. um, and the living room, the TV is at one end of the house, and my bedroom is at the far end of the house. There's like a ten yard <laughs> corridor, corridor, hallway in between, and that that film is the longest ten yards I've ever oh my gosh. in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was the 1963 version of The Haunting. Um, oh which, yeah. Um, uh, and also in terms of a written book, the, you know, the Haunting of Hill House, the original, yes. um, uh, just for a way of, I think I really, my, my writing is very character driven. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's about having believable people who do believable things, not, not just jumping through hoops because the hot, uh, there's a cool thing the plot could make them do. Um, and I think, um, I think that the writing of that book and, and really the, the, the Eleanor character, mm. the complexity of, of her, um, Yes. Uh, and the way the other characters around her too are, they're, they're by no means just, just there to make up numbers. So um, I would say both in terms of how to write a really unsettling um, ghost yes. story and then how to, how to adapt it and just the use of lighting and cinematography to make it effective with no, no, no monsters, no, nothing yes. really. Yes. Um, 
it's just a masterpiece. And then you can watch the uh, 1990s remake for how not to do it. <laughs> I know. So I, I teach a class on adaptations and remakes and horror. And this time around, we're reading uh, Jackson's book. And then we're watching the Netflix series, actually, because I want yes. I want my students Which, to understand yes. what would you do if you just went completely different. But sometime I desperately want to just do one where we work our way through the adaptations because I keep making references. I'm like, picture in your mind the following cast from the 93 film. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yes, these are bad <laughs> ideas. Uh, but it's it's interesting that you talk about the quietness of it because that's that's what my students were talking about, right? They they really didn't mention the supernatural. It was ostracization and yeah. being alone, even when you're in a crowd, and and these things that I I think you can see certainly in your text because you're right. Even though Jackson's novel is is more gothic than anything, it's mm. it it has that that mood and that atmosphere that works yeah. for film noir, that works for just any crime narrative, right? Of of, of a someone coming in and saying, I'm going to solve this crime, but none of you are going to trust me for a second. And uh, then I'm going to question myself at some point, you know, like that makes total sense. And it's a, it's an amazing book. So yay. yeah. 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 I, if I can also mention, if I can mention the further oh, one, please. Um, um, in terms of short story writing, um, short form fiction, uh, short, short form fiction, I th always think that Arthur Machen is hugely underrated. Um, I'm not even sure a, I know who that is. Okay, so he was writing around about uh, the 1890s and early 1900s. Okay. Um, um, and in fact, I think Stephen King said that um, one of his shorts, the uh, the Great God Pan, is is, is the greatest horror story, oh. short horror story written. Um, oh, that's great. So King's a huge fan, uh, and I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm quite a, um, a fan of his of his writing too. Um, although it's written a long time ago, it's very accessible writing. Uh, mm. I've been I, I um I've been reading um, the Turn the Screw, um, yes. the Henry Jones Henry James um, story written within a couple of years of of when um, Machen was writing his better stuff, but but far less accessible, I have to say. Um, it, yes. it's 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 a great concept, but quite hard read for modern. Uh, modern eyes, uh, whereas yes. Machen has got has got a very much more modern style of, of writing, um, and there's mm. a certain uh, they, some story, particularly one called the Golden Pyramid, made a real impact on me. And I think one, one of the elements of the impact on it is partly it's, you've got this fear of the other, you've got the, basically the little people. Um, I think Machen was Welsh, so mm. he, he was he was uh, and quite um, quite mystically minded. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was uh, he was writing uh, quite a lot about a lot of stories have these malignant I won't, I won't say elves in the sense of elves like you know Tolkien or anything like that but these malignant right. people um, um so there's that but also there's a there's a kind of a chilly a chilly detachment to his writing um mm -hmm. things happen in I, I, one thing I learned about from his writing is it's often very scary to have something just happen in the margins it's not written down on the page as to exactly what's happened but there's just a comment Mm. which tells you that something happened off the page, which was, uh, which leaves it to your imagination, which is often worse, I think. Yes. And he's a and master I, of that. That sounds lovely. I don't, I tend to not read when I'm reading for my sake as much short fiction, but I also feel that horror is often easier to do in short form than it is in, in longer form, because the moment you start caring about characters, which you usually do in a long form, right, the moment that I don't know if some of the, the horror of like, these are terrible people in a terrible situation is removed. Whereas in short fiction, yeah. you can be like, these are terrible people, <laughs> you know, and in films, you can say these are terrible people, but you only have to deal with them for 90 minutes. It's a harder <laughs> sell to be like, but you're going to sit with them for the next 14 to 16 hours. So that's, yes. that's lovely. So I'm always looking for good fiction that reminds me, short form fiction of, of why 
I think that's where the genre sort of sits at most comfortably. And you write both long form and yeah. short form. Yeah, yes. Just uh, depending years, on the story or? Well, for years I could never, I always, I always wanted, as long as I always, long, always wanted to be a novelist, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know been, a, been a physicist and a university administrator, but, but really I always wanted to be a novelist. And I could never right. get past, I could never make a story stand up past a few thousand words without mm -hmm. it looking ridiculously padded. Uh, and, and that's the point yeah. I usually gave up. And um, so I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of uh, quite wordy 30,000 word failures lying around, which I <laughs> might revisit one day. Um, but I always enjoyed writing short stories and I always felt I was quite good at it. Um, and then I just said that it wasn't, it wasn't a COVID project. Uh, I sat down sort of late 2019 and thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I've got a couple of stories here, which if I, if I cobble them together and I've, I've got a good point, I can, I can, oh. I can link them. It'll make, a, it'll make a novel. I'm just going to write it and see if I can get to the end. And yeah. I got to the end and I felt, wow, I did it. <laughs> so, so then I wrote another one. a clever one, way to and, do it. Yeah, the, and the next one was actually well, just one story. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it, I wasn't stealing from previous short stories and adding them together. It was uh, an actual novel from the from the its inception, um, and um, it's it's a different it's a different sort of stamina you need, a different sort of writing perspective on writing you need very much so. Uh, and I think you're right. I think uh, a lot of science uh, science fiction and horror really lends itself to short form writing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's because you may be exploring concepts. And you're exploring ideas more than you're exploring yeah. people. Yes. Um, uh, so I think it's a real challenge for me to. For, for, and here's me writing a series of novels. Uh, having said that, um, but, right. but yeah, I do. I, I do actually uh, see what you say, and I agree with what you say on that. Uh, I think my challenge as a novelist is to is to just um, try and find a way of keeping people engaged um, by making it about a slow build up. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's going to be a slow build up towards when the realization of what's finally happening and how finally it can be stopped. Um, and that it will be a pretty horrific decision yes. that we have to make yes. at the end. <laughs> yes. Excellent. And and I will be asking you in, in just a little bit of question that's about genre, because I think a lot of what you're talking about is also this sort of intersections of where your particular writing falls. But before we get there, um, I like to ask this question because the framework helped me to understand the texts that terrify me versus the texts that maybe have excellent jump scares, right? And mm. and that is that there's a, a scholar whose name is Linda Holland Toll, and she said we can put horror into sort of two two buckets. Um, there's affirmative horror and disaffirmative horror. And affirmative horror, at the end of the day, says, you know what? Good news: the monster was outside. It was a stranger. It was not one of us. We have defeated it. We can go back to normal. And of course, a lot of like slasher films do that. Um, a lot of films that or books that are, you know, with some sort of supernatural element that gets defeated and then the human's triumph does that. But then there's disaffirmative horror. And of course, I think almost everything Shirley Jackson is writing is disaffirmative because they're like, no, it's us. We're the problem. Our society is the problem. We're the monster. Um, and, and I realized, you know, once I was given this framework that like, it's disaffirmative horror that scares me, right? Affirmative horror has lots of jump scares and I'm a huge fan of jump scares. But at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, good and done. Um, whereas, you know, disaffirmative leaves me thinking about garbage people and like, you know, garbage society and all that stuff. So where would you classify your your writing, particularly your your Dark Isle series? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's quite a useful structure to, 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 to use, I think, actually. Um, and I think in terms... And I call myself, I say I, I love crafting writers simply because I, right. I, um, I'm so steeped in the, in the Cthulhu mythos that, 
mm-hmm. it seemed, or have you, how have you pronounced it? I'm still, I'm still not sure you actually say Cthulhu, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, it seemed a shame not to make use of it, to be honest. And I, and yeah. I, I always wanted to have that British, that British take on, well, I'm not the first person to do that. I know there's been other British writers who contributed to Cthulhu Mythos. Um, so whilst I'm, I call myself a Lovecraftian writer in that sense, um, and that means you, the basic point to think the jumping off point is cosmic horror, mm-hmm. um, then I, I hope I can be moved beyond just being about cosmic horror. Um, yeah. cosmic, horror cosmic horror, I'd say, is absolutely right on one end of your spectrum, which is affirmative. You know, it is, okay. And you look at the original sort of stuff that people were sort of producing, I mean, um, obviously Lovecraft, but Derleth and people like that. Mm-hmm. It was a case of, yeah, there is something, you scratch the surface, there's something beneath it. It's horrible. It's it's the other. Um, yeah. I think I'll fate at this point and say it's indescribable, <laughs> which, tends to, which tends to happen quite a lot. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> um, so I would say, I would say, because it's rooted in cosmic horror, it's rooted in, in, in affirmative horror. Um, I, personally, I, I, I like both. Certainly, my short form horror is has much more disaffirmative in it. Um, mm-hmm. um, quite explicitly, uh, there's one in which well, there's. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to say it because it's obviously it's, the whole point of it is it's a great way to yeah. um, to um, uh, have a twist at the end of the story. So I don't want to talk about which story it's in, but some of the stories, it's very obvious where I'm coming from in terms of it being disaffirmative. And yes, we are actually the problem. And, yes. and if there is another universe out there, God help it when we get there. <laughs> um, yes. uh, so uh, so it, I, I do see myself as, as actually liking, liking both both types. Mm-hmm. I am hoping during the course of the the, the Denison series that it that the disaffirmative will be woven into it, um, and I saw I, I, I've been looking around for it, but half my short story collection is near Carcassonne in France at the moment, so I've, I've not <laughs> been able to find it. Um, it was a, it was a take on it was a it was a, a take on a, a Lovecraftian style, which I think I can't remember her name. It was it was a female horror writer, um, mm. and basically it uh, it 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 uses the time of the um, Occupation of well, the, the occupation of Congo by 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 Belgium, oh, wow. uh, which was the inspiration of Heart of Darkness, which was the you know, yeah. just, you know and uh, if, you, if you look at the history of it, it was whatever whatever other the empires did, and Belgium always looked such a nice country. Um, what happened to Belgian Congo was absolutely a, a level beyond um, wow. all of that. And this particular story had the people who were sort of imposing that sort of. Um, um, that sort of regime on the on the on the indigenous peoples, being the people who stamped out uh, a Lovecraftian horror um, mm. uh, in the most brutal way possible. And on the end of it, this they're, they're sort of looking, they're, they're sitting around the campfire, literally butchering the the, wow. the remains of their, and they say, "Hey, they're the good guys." And I yeah. thought that was a really good way of actually yes. taking that sort of Lovecraftian affirmative start and actually sort of saying, but you know what? You can actually make that quite this affirmative too. Um, and I could see that's the way that my, I'd like my series to progress. It that's won't go to Belgian Congo. There's no spoilers right. there. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I would like it to, and I think the more I've written it, the more I've realized it's actually an awful lot of it's about identity and about anxieties about who we are who we're actually talking to when we're talking to someone are we actually talking to who we think we're talking to mm-hmm. and can we trust the word they say which i think is very very much where we are as a society at the moment yes. certainly in the west yes. um and i think that then allows you to then unplug that route into a, a, a disaffirmative approach um to to it and i think like you said you know we we as the product of being on the the other side of multiple world wars, of of the Cold War, of a global pandemic. I I don't think 
I don't know. I don't know if it's that Lovecraft was just so comfortable in who he was that it, which seems to be the case based on some of like the bad things that he was as a person, like that he just didn't, it didn't occur to him, you know, as a, as a pretty privileged individual that like the world might not be great for everyone else. But I think it's like, a, it's an impossible place for us to sit in today. And and so I, I think that just having talked to you that, that it will become unavoidable for you to start saying, yeah, maybe, maybe there is two things, you know, the, this, unspeakable monster out there but also us uh yeah and yeah. and i like seeing when writers do that if you if you think of if you find the name of the author for that story will you send it to me i will i will because it's a very effective perfect. story perfect it's very effective and i think it's um i think you could actually sort of allow that both to exist in the same story because there, there may yes. be something bad out there but generally someone's let it in uh yes. and they may have let it in for their own purposes and not done it accidentally um and that then says well actually Who's at fault here? Is, yes. is it that that thing that's just being what that thing does, <laughs> or yes. is it the is it those amongst us who are seeking to benefit from it? And um, there's an American book called Lovecraft Country. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. It was adapted into a HBO series that actually is even better uh, in some ways, I think. But you know, the premise is, what if we had a bunch of wizards? Wouldn't that be awful? And then they're like, but also let's remember that in the United States of America, we had racism, which was real and even more awful. And so it kind of was looking at, you know, like in a, what we call Jim Crow era. So after our civil rights movement, right? Like what would happen if we had African-American characters who were confronting both the supernatural of, of Lovecraft and the, yes. the not supernatural awfulness of, uh, you know, America and, and I, I just, I think it's so interesting, right, to be reminded that we can be confronted, like you said, by both the outsider and the insider, um, and that's somehow even worse, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. And that's very much what I hope will, um, I'm hoping that by the end of the series, people sort of realise I've been trying to make some points. Um, yes. I don't want to ram it down people's throats. I want people to come to that, that um, yeah. awareness themselves. But yeah, and I'm hoping, and if you're making points about how things are and how things um maybe shouldn't be mm -hmm. uh i think the, you you are straying to that disaffirmative area i think yeah. you have to be right and i would imagine that having a series helps with that right with the like not needing to feeling the urge to cram it down people's throats because you you have the ability to sort of drop it in along the way and not feel like you have to make every statement possible in this one 250 300 page book yeah but, yeah Absolutely. but i also imagine that writing a series is very hard so <laughs> it's you've you've got i suppose you've got to sort of look at well you've got to look at the storyline for a novel and then you've got to look at how that that uh contributes to an arc um uh of the, the overall arc and make sure it's consistent and make sure it's taking people in the right direction and making sure actually i've got really i've got to be putting clues right at the start there which are going to lead to something that's not going to be finished for a good few years yet so yeah so yeah it's hard i've got lots of spreadsheets and i've got to <laughs> try and remember make and it's it's um there's all the uh, the mundane things like making sure people's eyes eye color and hair color doesn't change. Oh, yeah. But also, I've got to make sure that you know, um, if I put that clue there in the in 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 halfway through novel one, then by the time it gets to novel n, that has got to still be, that's, that clue has got to be uh, has got has got to come into play. Um, I, I do I do like I do hate um, loose ends. <laughs> yes. I would love for to be there if you could go back in time and tell your, I don't think I can ever get past 30,000 words, that not only were you going to be writing a novel, but you were going to be writing this series uh, and that you would be able to have that that's continuing power. So, because it's it's amazing, like that you're, you know, seeding it that that carefully. 
especially considering you at one point didn't know if you could do it. Um, which I, I think makes sense when, when I think about the genres that are at play, the more that you're working at the intersections of these different genres, I feel like the, the more freedom you have to be creating these really robust worlds without it feeling like fillers. So although you describe yourself, and, and I understand, like you said, it's, a, it's an easy way to, to describe yourself so people know exactly what you're doing as an author of Lovecraftian writing, you could have easily said, you know, I'm an author of Lovecraftian fiction and and right because there's there's film noir in there um there's elements of modern horror so you talked about the fact that you know the the short stories like the about the golden pyramid feel very modern in terms of accessibility mm. and i felt that way with yours too right like it doesn't oh, feel you. like you're trying to mimic a style and a world that no longer exists right you're taking that but making it relevant for today yes yeah, yeah i, I I didn't want it to just be pastiche. I mean, yeah. uh, there's no point. It's been, it's been done. <laughs> no, it, and it, it just would have felt weird, right? Like it wouldn't have felt authentic. So how how do you do all of that? How do you how are you taking all of these different genres and and what is it about blending them together and creating these texts that are at these intersections, generically speaking, of science fiction, cosmic horror, film noir, modern horror? Like, what is it that makes you excited about that? Um. I mean, a lot of it, it sounds like I've, I've sat down and planned it. I, I really haven't. It's kind of worked out that way. <laughs> um, okay. I think, uh, I think um, one of the, once I had set, uh, once I decided that Derbyshire was not the um, the font of all evil and I had to create somewhere. <laughs> uh, so so it was going to be Dark Isle. And then I think the way you need to make, uh, you need to have, I think, a literal journey that people can take with somebody to get to Dark Isle. It's, it's mm -hmm. a remote place. Why would you be there? Um, yeah. So that's where actually the outsider going in um, mm -hmm. is, and then the outsider going in becomes our eyes and our route into Dark Isle, mm -hmm. uh, which is why I wanted it to be, um, I think it made sense, it was, it was an investigator. Um, I think it's a good route into a, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, it's not very original because we've been a lot, but it's a, it's a very good route to get into a community which we say, okay, there's a really strange community here. We're all, let's learn about it together. And it could be, it can be um, uh, um, going, uh, going to uh, Twin Peaks, sending an mm -hmm. FBI agent to Twin Peaks, right. sending a policeman to Summer Isle um, in um, in the Wicker Man. Uh, that's that's a, a quite a good route in, I think. And and if that person is then our eyes and ears, they kind of have to be quite an everyman sort of person. Um, mm. They kind of need to be someone that you actually identify with, which I hope Jack is. Uh, and then he's got some. Um, whilst he's got some. Dark, some dark backstory which will be teased out gradually over time um otherwise it all becomes tremendously convenient um that he's there um if there's not a reason for him, if there's not right. something on, right. going on in the background <laughs> but basically he's um he's quite a rational person um he's um uh he's quite he's a methodical person you know, he makes a living from from being methodical so i think that then gave you, and once you've done that, then you're, and you, once you've got that sort of character, and in the 1920s, you're kind of in that noir area, yeah. almost without even trying. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I feel, um, I feel much more akin to those sort of, um, those sort of American type of detective stories from the, from the mm -hmm. 20s and 30s than to something like Agatha Christie. I mean, uh, it, it is a whole, it is a mansion with a, with a cast of characters, and people sure. do say it's quite Agatha Christie-ish um, sure. in that sense. But I hope it's a little bit gritty in the sense that the, the protagonists, um, you know, are not averse to waving guns around if they have to, um, yes. and um, 
so I, I do quite like, like that sort of. I saw, someone said it was a um, one review I had was uh, it's a mix of Dashiell Hammett with Agatha Christie. So I'll, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I was going to say that sounds like a wonderful thing for someone to say about <laughs> yes. your writing. It's like I'll take household names being mixed together. <laughs> yeah, That's I'll amazing. take that. I'll yes. take that. Yeah, and I um, like the fact that you know because they're film noirs are can be um very dated because it's always like you know here's the dame and that's all you're gonna know to know because you don't really yes. need to know her as a female character because you know but i i yeah. like the fact that you're constantly finding ways to present us with a familiar trope even if it's you know the investigator coming in but i think a lot of it is is jack um that it also feels again it feels like it makes sense for today's audience uh if it's characters are developed like when you present a trope, you also like make it clear why you're still going to use this, even though it's a trope. And, and that's, I would imagine that's hard to do, but as a reader, I very much appreciate that like nod, but without, like you said, it being pastiche or something that's just, you know, you taking a formula, changing the character's name <laughs> to, to Jackson <laughs> and then the calling it good to go. Uh, was there any like intentionality in trying to, were there things you wanted to update from cosmic horror or from film noir did it just sort of happen as a byproduct of you know living um, today? I, I don't want to sound all virtue sounding but I really want a strong female character in there mm -hmm. um uh well more than one but but particularly right. um particularly with Josine um yeah. uh it's a nod I think I also wanted the nod to that sort of the American antecedents of it and actually mm -hmm. sort of so Josine does give a link to Miss to Miskatonic University yes. um which is which is great but I also think um I wanted someone who was going to be um, uh, a little less bothered about social norms, which would have still been quite stultifying in Britain in the 1920s. Um, yes. uh, and to actually have someone come in from a outside who's not British um, yes. and is not in the stand on ceremony quite so much, I think um, is, is I, found, I found very useful. And I found Josine would be quite useful to actually drive the action along a bit where I was thinking that Jack probably wouldn't do this right now. And Jack probably would take a step back and say oh hang on I'm not, I'm not i'm not a serving policeman i can't do that and josie right. said yes you can <laughs> um yeah so, i wish i could yeah. be like that's not how americans are but yes <laughs> that is <laughs> how every american i know is right so <laughs> that makes perfect sense that you would sort of give that to the american and i like the fact it's also the the woman right that's just nice to see yeah yeah um she's She's, uh, not, this is not going to be a surprise. She's going to be, she's not going to be in every book, but she's going to be important yeah. to the series. Uh, and uh, um, and I think the direction I, I'm going to take it is, I didn't, I didn't even realise it was about identity at the start, but as I was writing mm. through it, it, it is actually, it is an awful lot of, of, of Lovecraft. It, it is about identity uh, mm -hmm. and it is about creatures that can pass themselves off as human. Yes. Um, and you can just play that as, oh, well, oh, hang on, he took a mess cross off and it wasn't human. It, right. it was, there was a horrible thing behind it, which is fine, but I think you can go deeper than that uh, and sort yes. of actually start to question sort of, well, what, what, and this is quite a science fiction thing, is, at what point is a, is a human not a human anymore? Right. Or at what right. point is a thing that's interpreted, a thing that wants to become human, at what point does it become human? Yes. Um, now, they're sort of interesting questions you can then start asking, I think. And, and very relevant to today questions, right? I think about, um, I don't know if you saw the film Ex Machina, but I, I think that's you know yes. about the Turing test. It's one of the I think the best films to to, to have that conversation. But here in in higher ed, we're talking an awful lot about Chat GBT, right? The the yes, software that will write stuff yes. for you. And yeah. uh, you know the philosophers are like, when when does it still count as an authentic, meaningful conversation? 
you know, and, and, and then I'm like, I don't, I don't think I have the strength to handle this on a casual Wednesday. So, (laughs) so I usually sort of end the conversation at that point, but I think that what's so exciting about your, your stories is that every one of the questions are questions we're wrestling with even more today, perhaps than, than we were when Lovecraft was first writing. I think so. I think, I think, um, chat GPT is an example. I think, I think it's basically the, 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 the growth of the cyber world that probably probably yeah. instigated that. Um, and, um, you know, it's quite, quite glib to say, well, you know, who are you chatting with? It could be anybody. That's quite a straightforward thing, but, but then you've got what's people's intent and you've got the way, the way that, um, um, what 20 years ago would have seemed a great idea. Hey, let's all talk to each other and shower tears and everyone will know all the facts in the world. I mean, that'd be brilliant. Yes, yes. And look how it's turned out. You're thinking, oh, okay, well. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. So many of the like, let's connect. What could possibly be wrong about being able to connect yes. with people from around the world? And it's like, studies show connecting with people from around the world leads to depression. And you're like, okay, yes. that's the answer to the question of what could go wrong. So yes. that's exciting that you're going to explore a lot of that. So the next question, and this uh, this could be science fiction or fantasy or anything. Sure, it doesn't sure. have to just be horror. It could even be nonfiction. But I always like to know, like, what are you engaging with, reading, watching, playing, if you play games um, right now that that you just are really enjoying that you want to recommend to others? Yeah. Um, I'm actually deep in the throes of my fourth novel. It tends to kill my, re- my reading. Oh, that would bit, do it. Actually. That would do yeah. it. Um, what I uh, most recently I found a, at, a, at a little secondhand bookshop, which is still where I like pick up stuff, um, oh. a uh, an anthology called Dark Visions. Um, okay. And because I feel a fraud on the on the, on the I'm always trying to catch up with catch up. And it's, it's got some big names in there. It's um, um, uh, it's um, Stephen King, combination of uh, short stories by Stephen King and um, Dan Simmons. So I wouldn't really call a horror writer normally. Oh, um, yeah. And then there's a novella by um, George uh, R. R. Martin. Um, okay. So I, I so I've been, I've been reading that. Um, kind of mixed response to it, to be honest. Um, yeah. I don't think the King's finest. Um, um, mm. I quite like the Dan Simmons stuff. Uh, like I said, I was I wasn't familiar with him as, as a horror writer. I, I read his uh, Phases of Gravity, which is a fantastic novel. Which oh, is, okay. Um, uh, it, it, it's about it's about an astronaut, but it's not it's not science fiction at all. It's it's, it's, it's non genre. Um, but oh. it's it's a brilliant brilliant novel. A very very um, contemplative novel, I would say. Um, mm. Um, and I've not got, I've, I've just got to the stage of, uh, I'm, I'm, my bookmark is poised mm-hmm. at the start of the, uh, the, the George R.R. Martin, um, uh, novella. So I haven't read that yet. Uh, so reading that, um, in terms of as a collection, as an anthology, um, unless George R.R. Martin pulls it out of the bag, I'm not particularly recommending it. Um, okay. there's a little, there's a, uh, there's a little bit too much whimsy in it. I don't really like whimsy mm. in my horror. Um, yeah. uh, and, um, uh, some good body horror, but, but, um, it's yeah it's it's okay three, yeah, it'll be, yeah. it'll be three st- unless like i said I'll, I'll wait till i get to the end but currently it's looking like three stars for me at the moment okay <laughs> yeah that's, and that's always the challenge right about with when you have like some sort of collection because just when you get in the the like mood of one style of writing it changes and i'm not yeah. always wanting that right i'm not always excited for change period but certainly you know after 15 minutes uh so i could see that that being the case is there something that's on your shelf that you're looking forward to doing once you're you're in a pause point for for book four um yeah it's, it's not particularly horror um but i um i'm rationing myself with uh in banks novels i'm trying to make them last because there's not gonna yes. be any more um yes so 
I, I, I had a look, I had the great good fortune to meet him once. Um, oh, that's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm looking. I've, I've met two of my literary heroes. I've met Ian Banks, and I've met um, um, Richard Adams, who wrote Warship Down. So I was quite. Oh wow! Quite oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. Um, so um, yeah, um, so yeah, I'm I'm um, uh, I've got the um, I've got the Crow Road on my shelf. Uh, which is obviously not to come, you know, this is stuff going back right. to the 80s and 90s, right. but I've, um, I, I've, I've, I've devoured his science fiction as he's in, in M. Banks writing, so I've got none of that, that left. So now I'm working through his, his non-genre stuff, which is right. pretty genre quite often anyway, <laughs> actually. Yes, um, yes. The, the bridge um, is just uh, the way he veers, uh, the way he veers into fantasy. Um, mm. um, is, 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 and Walking on Glass is another example of that. Um, uh, so, so yes, uh, wonderful, wonderful author, and he seemed like a great person, and uh, uh, taken away from us far too soon so I'm trying to make his novels yeah. last um Crow Road up next yes excellent yeah I, I was reading a couple of years ago a book and you know finished it and was like okay when when will the next book in the series happen because it feels like a finish uh and then I read the afterword and, and the author was like you know I have cancer and I this is probably my last book and it just it gutted oh, me you know yeah. on on every level possible but it's it's so sad when you know that there's nothing more forthcoming yeah. um yeah yeah and do you do you watch many movies or shows or anything like that? Are you primarily a, a reader? These days, yeah. I mean, there was a stage where I'd, I'd probably seen every horror and science fiction film up to about the <laughs> up to about the seventies. It was made up till about nineteen seventy old ish, yes. and then I just seem to have had less and less time. To, to, um, my, my last experience, my last the last horror film, but also my my. my the rest of my family aren't really into it, so it's a case of ah, that's hard. Am I gonna am I gonna go there and sit there by myself, um, yes. or uh, or not? Um, so probably the last outright horror film I saw was Hereditary. Um, oh yeah, that's a definitely a really impactful film. I, I struggle with that film because I feel like the last mm, fifteen minutes, uh, yeah, didn't, it, it didn't work so. for me. Um, but so. until Absolutely. that, until then, yeah. it was one of the most incredible films that, until the, the, until it derailed. <laughs> yeah, uh, the build up. Um, yes. The build and the, the, just the feeling of dread yes. was just and the wonderful. acting and, was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then and then the do what I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I know someone once described it to me as he he didn't show his work right, so he somehow got from two plus two equals ten, and then didn't show how he got to that number ten, and and that's <laughs> that's where I lost. Yeah. <laughs> what the what came to my mind was it's like you started off with Shirley Jackson, and you finished off with a yes. chapter of Dennis Wheatley. Uh, which <laughs> yes yes that's a very accurate description um and I, I know that there were some I, I've read that there were some studio issues of you know they were like we want more x and you can almost hear him just being like okay you want more of that it is not the yeah. film I'm making but here it is but, yeah. but I think that's a perfect example that it's like if you didn't realize that your book was stuck together and you're suddenly in another story and then you're like this doesn't make any sense um yeah but yeah I one of my favorite things to watch because I just it excites me um and it's british so i can mention it to you and you may or may not know it um is inside number nine i don't know if you watch it oh yes. yes i dip into those over the years yeah just but such such yes. inventive oh my gosh diabolicness yes yes and every one of their horror episodes is remarkably good considering that it is i think very hard to do a yes. whole new horror conceit in a 45 minute 50 minute you know period yeah but Gosh, and they do make, and, and, they, and they find a way to make humor work in it as well. Quite often. Oh yes, yes. Uh, quite yes. often, which is brilliant. It's interesting actually. So, um, uh, so I, I think it's 
I forget which who it, it was exactly who who's the, the leading light in uh, inside number nine, but they were worked on League of Gentlemen. Um, mm. If you've ever seen League of Gentlemen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons I decided well, not to go down the route of having a very intimate horror set in Derbyshire is that yes. League of Gentlemen is set in the ta- uh, Royston Vase is actually New Mills, which is in the Peak District in Derbyshire. Oh, so, okay. So I was like, okay, well, someone's already made a horrific yeah. Derbyshire village. Um, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, that's. That- that's well, because because of League of Gentlemen, that's one another reason for me giving up on Derbyshire as a yes. as a location. So let's just let's start again. <laughs> Which is so funny because you know I'm sure that means so much to you, but for me, I'm directionally and geographically challenged. Period. But certainly, I'm like I don't know. Isn't it kind of all the same in England? And I know that's not true, <laughs> but that's funny that 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 was another like nope. I guess I have to just invent my own world. But that's lovely. It's- yeah. And again, look at what we got out of it, right? So I'm I'm rather glad. I feel like I owe them a letter of thank you for not letting you write <laughs> well, in the world that much. we know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 so done with Derbyshire now. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that's right. I mean, because and so you just flee for months at a time, which <laughs> yes. sounds so wonderful. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> okay. We've been alluding to it all along, but I think now now is the like give us the names of anything you can give us the names of. Uh, and that's the like, what's next uh, from, okay, from Mark yeah. and Drake. So what are you working on or excited about that you can talk about? Cause I realize not everything is at a stage you can talk about, but also maybe is there like, do you want to say the name of your books again? You know, any of that is, yeah, is now we're now that. at that point. Yes. I'll do that. Um, actually, when you said there's any text that people should read, yes, you should read anything I write. Uh, obviously. Right. Um, First, the the, the, the kickoff point for my um, the, the series we've been talking about is the Gathering of Shadows, yes. um, which when I named it, I didn't realize there's a Gathering of Shadows, which has got far more uh, likes <laughs> and reviews. But anyway, it's the Gathering of Shadows, yes. uh, and that's the starting point of the Jack Johnson stories. Um, currently, um, there are two for, for that uh, take the action up to the very end of 1922. Um, so that's um, those under the hill and what festers within. Uh, my most recent one, um, I'm still doing a little bit of promotional work for, is a short, the short story collection I mentioned, which is Shards of Shattered Darkness. Uh, that just came out in January. So I'm still trying to uh, encourage people to read that. Yes. Uh, I want to work on now. Um, so I've um, some of those were historical short stories that I dug out from years ago. Some of them I've ri- I written, I wrote for the collection, but either That's way, great. I'm trying to shake that short story mentality again and get into the back to um back to long form fiction uh so i'm just plotting the details of the fourth novel as yet ah. called book four um yes so, uh which takes jack a little bit further north a little bit further east on the island so excellent, <laughs> excellent. and i i love the titles of your your books they feel rich you know, they, they just, and they, they both call back, you know, to the Lovecraftian, I mean, at the mountains of madness, right? You're like, Ooh, tell me more. But the, also just your word choices feel luxurious, uh, which is how all titles should be. Right. Oh, that's very, yeah. I, I do. Yes. I, 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 apart from those under the hill, um, and I was writing that and that was a description that came all the, all the characters said, Oh, those under the hill. Oh, 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 let me just Google that. Oh, no one's used it. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that one came easily. The other two, the other two I had to think about quite a lot at the end. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I'm glad. So, so I'm glad you, you like them. <laughs> Do you think you'll go back to, like, I know some authors who sort of alternate between a long form and a, and like a collection of short stories. Are you thinking like, is that something you want to keep doing? I'm sure you have other short stories you could sort of dust off or have you found the transition 
back to long form, like too difficult to do this as a regular sort of palate cleanser. Yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm erring towards the latter, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it, it, it is a very, I find it a very different way of writing, um, yeah. a very different way of writing. And, um, and um, I would say that an 80,000 word um, novel is more than 10 times as hard as Oh my gosh. A thousand words, long short story. Yes, um, there, yes. was, there was just there was just more to keep track of. There was more. Uh, you've got to work harder. I think uh, uh, you've got to. Um, I love dialogue. I like dialogue. Um, and sometimes I sort of say, okay, enough talking. Let's. Mm-hmm. We, we need to. We need to have some. Um, we need to have something that actually informs the reader of what, what he's actually seeing rather than what he's hearing. Yes. Um, and you've got to think about those sorts of things. You've got those, and, and the balance between dialogue and, and, and description, et cetera, isn't something that really crops up in a short story mm-hmm. um, because either it's bang, you, you tell a story as it, you, you, you describe something right, or you describe a conversation and there's not, no one's too upset if there's a balance of one or the other, because it's only like a four, 4,000, yeah. 5,000 word yeah. experience. Um, you've got to really, I find I, I, I constantly self-edit as I go through a story. So by the time I get to the end of a story, I've rewritten the first chapter probably about, certainly about a dozen times. Yeah. Um, and then the second chapter probably about 11 times. And so as I go yes. through, I'm sort of, I'm revisiting it. So it is harder work. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm so glad think, to hear you say that because I feel like, I feel like there's so many writers that are like, it just depends on what I feel like when I sit down in it. But to me, it's like you said, it's exponentially, it's not just more words, right? It's exponentially, everything is compounded and it's, you know, like increased gravity. But so by the end, you're like, it's the weight of everything that came before it, not just word 80,000. So it makes me so happy to hear you say that because I thought it was just me and that everyone else just had no problem switching between forms. Yeah, so. no, I, I did have I did have problems, and uh, I enjoyed I was you know I enjoyed doing the short story writing. I, I know a lot yeah. of people find it a more accessible way into your writing, so that's one reason mm-hmm. to do it. Um, but yeah, I really need to keep that into touch for a while if I'm going to get back to novels. Yeah, that makes sense. I also hope that at some point you will no longer feel like an imposter because you most certainly aren't. And not only has this oh, been just you. a delightful conversation, but but your writing is excellent. Your your knowledge of you know, none of us can know everything. I have to tell myself on a regular basis. Um, particularly when I'm in the library and I'm surrounded by books that I will never have a chance to read. I have to be like, no, that's just, that's how life is. But, but I have just, this has been so lovely. And it's, it's so exciting to see how everything that reads is thoughtful and intentional truly is, because that's, that's where the magic, uh, I think, oh, of your great. books come in. And, and that's, why people should read it. So for those of you who are looking for something new to read, uh, you can go to wherever it is that you purchase your books, um, probably our overlord Amazon, but it could be somewhere else and you can get a yeah, hold of Yeah, Barnes & Noble do it, I'm, I'm told. So yes. So, good, yes. So so for those of you that want to change it up a little, but thank you so mar- much, Mark. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait oh, thanks all, to keep thanks reading the words. world. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Mark N. Drake is a British author of Lovecraftian fiction, though he has been known to write for other genres as well. Most of his works feature his fictional creation, Dark Isle, a British island of dark secrets and whispered terrors. His first novel, The Gathering of Shadows, was published in 2020. It was the first in a series of Cthulhu, mythos-inspired novels centered upon the cases of private detective Jack Glenison. Based in the Northern England of the 1920s, the stories follow Glenison as he explores Dark Isle and gradually learns of the ancient horrors that stalk that island and beyond. The follow-up novel, Those Under the Hill, was published in 2021, 
with what festers within following in 2022. More are in the series are planned. In 2023, Shards of Shattered Darkness, a collection of 18 of his horror short stories was released. Despite a misspent youth spent seeking out Panther horror paperbacks and secondhand bookshops, Mark graduated in applied physics and became a defense research scientist. Later, he went on to work in higher education management and to return to education obtaining an MBA. Now semi-retired, he divides his time between rural County Durham and Carcassonne in Southern France.